1: Na Hinui and welcome to Our Changing World from RNZ National. First up, Alison balances off to the University of Otago's Portobello Marine Lab to catch up with PhD student Sunkita Howard. Sunkita is testing an electric shark deterrent and she's invited Alison on a fishing trip to catch some spiny dogfish. On their way to the boat, they check out some of the sharks that have been helping Sunkita with her experiments.
2: Right in front of us, they've got three little spiny dogfish. What a cute little shark. They are. They're not the sharkiest looking of sharks. When I was over in the States, I got to work with sandbar sharks, and they look much like your prototypical shark, but spiny dogfish, you certainly wouldn't be feeling fearful if you saw them coming towards you in the water. They're named after the little spike that's in front of each one of their dorsal fins, and I've been spiked by one of them. It's not very nice, actually. That might be, hopefully, that's the closest I ever come to... so a shark attack. So how long are they? Mm, these guys are all between 68 and 71 centimetres total length, and that's because we always catch them in the same spot. Um, they're all little boys, so they live in sex-segregated schools, divided up by, by size and gender. They've probably just reached sexual maturity, or pretty close to it, at, at that length. They might be between five and seven years old. These little shark are helping you in an experiment.
1: So do you just hold them in captivity for a while and then let them go? Is that how you're working?
2: Yeah, we go out fishing and we catch them at the mouth of the Otago Harbour, bring them into the lab, let them acclimate for a couple of days or even a couple of weeks, however long it takes them to start feeding. And then once they're feeding regularly, I do an experiment where I introduce a bait, either with a pair of electrodes or without, and I see whether or not turning on the power can prevent them from eating the bait.
1: So you've mentioned food there and you've mentioned electricity. Do you want to tell me what your study is actually about?
2: Yeah, so sharks are very sensitive to electricity. Um, Sharks and skates and rays and chimeras, they're all related. They're all made of cartilage and they all have this special electric sense. They can feel about a billionth of a volt per centimetre in seawater. And one way I try and explain that to people, because it's hard to imagine what a billionth of a volt is, if you um, take a mouthful of salt water and gargle it, that creates an electric field in your mouth that a shark could perceive from maybe 20 centimetres away. So they have the sensory system that we don't have and that a lot of fish that fishermen want to go out and catch don't have. And perhaps I might be able to use a really weak electric field to scare little sharks like these spiny dogfish away from taking longline bait or commercial longline fishing gear without scaring away the fish that the fishermen want to catch. That's the idea.
1: So these things are getting caught as bycatch in that fishery.
2: Yeah, they are. In particular, I'm really interested in the ling bottom longline fishery. And so when commercial fishermen go out um, setting these great big long lines with many many hooks coming off a central backbone, targeting ling, they might catch more dogfish than they do ling. It's not unusual on a on a really bad day to go out and catch a thousand dogfish on a thousand hooks. They'd
1: much rather not catch dogfish and much rather catch land.
2: Yeah, at different points in the past, dogfish have had commercial value, but at the moment on paper they, they can sell for 40 cents a kilo, but in practice most fish processing plants don't buy dogfish at all. And so at some times of year and under some conditions, fishermen are catching heaps of dogfish, putting all that uh, time, effort, fuel, bait into catching fish that they can't sell. And the environmental consequences for dogfish are probably not that well understood because they're such a low value species. Their stock size is, is not as well understood compared to those high value target species but potentially it's not very good for the dogfish and certainly for a fisherman unfortunate enough to catch a, a thousand dogfish on a thousand hooks it's a pretty bad day too. I spent a bit of time reading Ministry of Fisheries um, catch effort data and yeah, just trying to work out the scale of what kind of a problem spiny dogfish might be for fishermen. I'd like to try and quantify what the economic cost is to fishermen of catching dogfish so that I can work out how cheap and how effective my shark deterrent would have to be for it to be a, a net benefit for fishermen. And, yeah, a 200 dogfish day is its certainly not every day for the, the fishermen that I'm interested in, but it's not unusual either. So... <laughs> All it would take would be for the device to work and maybe a week of fishing and it would have balanced itself out.
1: So you suddenly got the call, the boat was available Yeah, yep. <laughs> heading to sea for an hour or two. So we're just bouncing our way up past Tyro Head, it's always a bit choppy here isn't it? It's always like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did And you've been busy out on the back decks so, and Kita, what have you no, been doing? Chopping up, um,
2: chopping up squid and putting it on hooks. So you've got your little long line ready to go? Yes, yep, our little forty hook long line. Um, so how long do you have to set it for? I think it'll just be in there for, what did you say, Sean? Half an hour? About, about Yeah, yeah, well, just as long as it takes us to go and do the other sample job we've got to do and then we'll come back to it and haul it straight away. So. Because we want all the dogfish to be alive and happy when we pull them up it's good to just soak it for a short time. Even an hour and they start fading. We're also using hooks that have got no barbs on them. We've crushed the barbs over, so they can get off them again too. So so the idea is that we minimise the damage to them if we possibly can. Make it easier to get them off, so so that's
1: a trade-off. So we've had the line over for half an hour. So Keta and I are only feeling slightly off colour. So pulling it in, Sean? Pulling it in, yeah. We're just going to slowly pull the main um, anchor line up. We'll get to the first weight, and then from there, We'll just work our way along the back line. Yeah, Sankira will deal with each fish as we come up, so it's just a slow process. And hopefully there are some fish there. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some fish there, whether or not they're the ones we
2: want, but there'll be something on it. Some of the feedback that I got from people I interviewed was um, that it's really demoralising working all day, removing these kind of pain-in-the-butt fish from your lines when you're not getting paid. I feel the opposite. It's one of these dogfish is a payday for me. (laughs) These dogfish that we're catching are all pretty skinny. They look look hungry. (laughs) So maybe they'll um, they'll be great in my experiments. So everything we've caught so far has an electric sense. So where is the electric sense, Sonkita? Sharks use their electric sense to hunt for prey and so it's mostly focused around their head. Every one of these paws that you can see on the snout and around the mouth and on the top of the head, they're all pores that lead to, down to the electroreceptor.
1: OK, so it looks like they're covered in stubble.
2: Yeah, so it's a hole leading to a canal filled with this conductive jelly and then the electroreceptor at the end. Lucky last. The last hook, I think. Yeah. Wow, that was a great catch.
1: So we've done our little fishing trip, and that was quite a successful little fishing trip.
2: Yeah, 21 sharks, that's a good start.
1: So you've released them all into the big pond there and they're... Hopefully, recovering from that traumatic little experience.
2: Yes, I'll give them. I'll give them tomorrow to relax, and then the day after, I'll offer them some food. And if they if they look like they've started feeding, then it will be time to put some of them onto a five day fast. So I fast them for a period of time before I do an experiment, just to make sure they're really hungry.
1: Talk me through how you run your experiment, because you're about to run one, aren't you?
2: Yep, I'm just about to start. I always do it in the evening because spiny dogfish are crepuscular, so they're most active at dawn and dusk, and After they've been fasted, I move them into the experimental arena, which is an Intex paddling pool. (laughs) It works really well. I offer them bait, and it's positioned beside a pair of electrodes. And during a control, the electrodes are off. And during a treatment, the electrodes are on. And I note down whether or not they eat the bait. What I hypothesise, what I think I'll see is that when the power's turned on, they'll be much less likely to eat the bait, and when it's turned off, I expect to see them eating the bait most of the time. And last year, working with spiny dogfish and sandbar sharks, I did see a really strong reduction in bait removal. So, so this good... was
1: in the States?
2: Yeah, I went over to the US on a Fulbright exchange, which was pretty amazing, and I got to work at this incredible laboratory with, with some fantastic scientists, and work with a species of shark that I can't access over here, sandbar sharks. And we saw, a, on average, it was about an 80% reduction in bait removal when the power was on, compared to when it was off. But coming back to New Zealand, working with spiny dogfish, I haven't had as much joy. We were all lined up to go out and do a field trial, because really the proof will be in the field trial. What happens in a tank is still pretty theoretical. Even seeing a fantastic bait reduction rate here in the tank might mean nothing on commercial fishing gear. We really have to take it to the field to know if it works. We've been successful in lining up some funding to develop prototypes and go out and take it to the field. And I thought, I just really want to see it work on spiny dogfish before we, before we go and spend that money. And they ate everything I offered them. And so I put the brakes on go back to the drawing board, and since then their feeding behaviour's been so patchy that I haven't had a whole lot of joy getting the experiment up and running. I still think there's a lot of potential in the concept, but maybe it won't be me that cracks it.
1: <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the history of using electrical deterrence. Is it a new idea?
2: No, it's not. People have been studying sharks' electrosensory biology since right about the 1960s. Uh, something that's really cool about this project is that it's a, it's a really applied use of what has for you know 50 odd years been very theoretical, pure, blue skies research. And Since about 2008, people have been looking at whether or not you could use the sensory difference between sharks and fisheries target species, like tuna or ling, to reduce shark catches on commercial longlines. So I use electrodes that are hooked up to a microprocessor and a power supply. And the way that people normally do it is they use electropositive metal. So it's this type of highly reactive metal that when it's submerged in seawater, it basically begins to dissolve. And as it does that, it creates a small electric field. And that's produced a mixed bag of results. Some studies suggest that it works fantastic on some species of shark or some ages of shark. And other studies suggest that it doesn't work at all. And... Unfortunately, this electropositive metal, because it dissolves, it's got a pretty short functional lifetime. It can soak in seawater for about 12 hours before an ingot maybe the size of an old-fashioned 50-cent coin would have dissolved completely. It can cost maybe as much as $300 a kilo, and most of the world's supply comes from a processing plant in China that has a pretty dubious environmental record. So there are several reasons why... Maybe it's not the best material to go with. The approach that I use, I'm able to modify the electric field so I can have different pulse rates or different intensities, and that gives me some scope to try out different things and see whether there's an electric field. Perhaps it's more effective than what has been used in the past. Hopefully it will have a longer functional lifetime. Um, Ideally, I think if it was going to be successful in a commercial environment, I think it would need to live as long as a hook at least.
1: And you'd want it to be relatively cheap so that it is something that a fishing company could put one on every hook is probably what you'd need to do?
2: Yeah, so the shark's electric sense works at a really close range. Uh, I want to use a really weak electric field which means that you you would have to have one on every hook and if that was going to happen I think it would be necessary for the device itself to be cheaper than the cost of catching a shark which is something I'm trying to quantify at the moment, working with an economist, trying to calculate how much does it cost to catch a slimy dogfish. It's good fun coming at the question from lots of angles.
1: That was PhD student Sunkita Howard from the Zoology Department at the University of Otago. And you also heard from Portobello Marine Lab boat skipper Sean Haseltine. That's all for now, but you can stay in touch with us on Twitter at rnz underscore science. Ki ora mai.